Welcome to Protect Your Practice, brought to you by BrightSquid. Let's dig deep into real-world data breaches of patient information. We'll provide practical, expert advice to help you mitigate risk, understand compliance with privacy laws, and safeguard your clinic against all of the privacy and security threats facing healthcare today. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Protect Your Practice. My name is Jeff McKay. I will be the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to look at uh, when breaches lead to lawsuits. So not a happy topic, but certainly one that we should be aware of. Um, What is sort of the worst case scenario of a privacy breach? How to plan for a breach? We'll talk about uh, managing vendor relationships and the hidden dangers or or maybe even not so hidden dangers of email. A lot of clinics uh, rely on email as a form of convenient communication, um, but uh, but we'll talk about why that's a bad idea when it comes to privacy compliance. And it's not just about compliance. It is about protecting your practice, and email does pose quite a threat. Uh, so joining me today for this discussion is Rohit Joshi, BrightSquid CEO. Rohit is a lawyer with a master's degree in science uh, who combined his vast experience with regulatory compliance and, and technical know-how to launch BrightSquid some 10 years ago. Uh, Rohit uh, has a, a lot of experience as an executive in technology companies dealing with regulatory issues around finance, compliance, privacy, all that sort of thing. Um, and he's a regular speaker at conferences around the world. So we're, we're lucky to get his time today. Um, also join us today is Valerie Fleisch. Uh, Val is a BrightSquid privacy lead, and she's an accomplished academic with a PhD in neurobiology, but she also uh, is, is a technical writer who has worked with hundreds of clinics to get them compliant and work on their privacy impact assessment, do advising, breach breach guidance, all that sort of thing. Um, and also joining us from the BrightSquid privacy team is Jen Kreiner, who is an advisor to clinics. Um, and Jen has been, uh, has been steeped in privacy regulation. Yes, steeped. Um, really uh, privacy regulation, compliance, and regulatory issues for most of her life. So thanks, everyone, for joining us today. We appreciate you being here. And let's dive in and take a look at our first breach. So this happened in, well, actually across Canada, four different provinces. It was a uh, medical marijuana clinic that revealed that the information of 34,000 patients had been accessed um, without authorization. So it looks like what happened was their electronic medical record system was hacked. So now they're going through the process of recovery, which involves notifying all the patients and working with uh, now, I believe, four different privacy commissioners across Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and uh, Ontario. So this is a big issue because, I mean, most clinics that we work with have electronic medical record systems. It's a big liability. And in a case like this, there's a class action lawsuit now lost against them. Um, and the law, the law firm has already received dozens of calls from people looking to participate, and it's only been a couple of weeks. So, uh, really, what does this mean for the clinic? Is there a case against them? And, and like, what happens in the instance of a class action lawsuit like this? Right. Thanks, Jeff. You know, it's it's interesting when you look at what um, what happened in the U.S. Uh, over the past number of years. The U.S. is, of course, as we all know. Um, very uh, much more litigious than Canadians uh, than, than than here we are in Canada. Um, and what we saw in the U.S. was once class action lawsuits started, that the clinics were really uh, um, at some level doomed uh, because it's very difficult to unburden yourself from the liability that kind of ensues. So yes, uh, they do have a case, especially if there was some negligence involved. And I don't know enough of the facts of the case. And I think from our discussion, I'm not even sure that you know, how rigorous the IT systems were. So we don't know if there was actual negligence, but um, 
you know, part of the challenge for every clinic is they have to have a level of standard. They have to meet a level of standard around privacy controls and security controls. And it's pretty likely they didn't, which is why a class action lawsuit's been launched. So, so Val, talk about that, that obligation. Like what, what do clinics have to do to try and prevent this stuff from happening? Great. So, I mean, first and foremost, I'd say every clinic has to be aware that they're, they have to protect the patient information that's in their control. And there's a lot of different aspects to that, of course. But one of them, and in this case, because it was an outside vendor that experienced a breach, every clinic should really know and identify who are my vendors, under, you know, under which law do I fall under, you know, if it's a privacy and health information that they're protecting, they need to know are those information managers and what types of agreements do I have in place. Because in the end, so in this case, it seems to me if it was really the breach happened at the vendor, it's the vendor that has the main obligation, I think like you said as well, Roy, that has to report the breach and take the precautions, etc. But as a clinic, you still also have a responsibility to have an agreement in place. So there's a certain type of privacy agreement you should have in place. Um, but also do have a procedure you know, within the clinic that says, you know, if something like that happens, what are we going to do? What are the steps we're going to take to notify patients? Do we have an obligation to report the breach or is it all the vendor? Just, you know, knowing. So something like that, uh, um, a pre-plan for a breach, is that just a nice to have? Or is that... No, that's a must, I'd say, you know, because, well, anyway, it doesn't matter under which, uh, well, most of the privacy acts and regulations have breach reporting that's mandatory. So since you do have an obligation to at least assess a breach and possibly most cases reported, you have to have something in place and all your staff need to be trained. You need to know if the situation arises, what do I have to do? Val, I think you raise an important point. Mm-hmm which is part of the challenge, you know, when we talk to practices, they get very concerned about having to, you know, fill out these forms and do these agreements. But part of the agreement from the information manager's agreement um, is that it helps transfer liability to that vendor. Now, I hope that these guys had one because every clinic that we would work with has one, right? Because what it does is it says, okay, if there is a breach, it is the vendor's problem. If that isn't taken care of, it's a lot less clear. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. Right. So, so Jen, I mean, in that sense, we talked about privacy um, agreements with vendors, but how, how do you prevent, like, from your experience and your knowledge of what goes on in these clinics, how does this stuff happen and how can you prevent it, if at all? Making sure that you have the information manager agreements in place uh, kind of puts the onus on both parties that are sharing information that they will do everything they can to protect the data. That's about it. Really training your staff, making sure that everybody is up to date on what the current policies are and procedures. And And even, I'd say, for notification, right, because in this case, there was such a large population of patients that had to be notified. That's, again, well, it kind of depends. And maybe I'm not sure if you know... Because you'd have to know, you know, in this case, it may be the vendor that has to do it, but it may be the clinic. Yeah, it's typically the clinic, right? I mean, the clinic is the one that is, is going to be most concerned about the message. Right. And so it makes the most sense for that clinic to reach out to each of its patients and say, here's what's happened, here's the specifics of what happened, and here's the consequence yeah. to you. And I think it's the, the Alberta legislation almost delineates that and say you have to do these three or four things, including giving the patients the option 
to now actually complain to the privacy commissioner. Right, yeah. That's part of the forum. Yeah. So it's a, it's devastating, uh, really, for clinics. Yeah. It's it, This one is so close to home uh, and kind of in our neighborhood, right? It's it's a real challenge. It's it's the first big case that I've seen come up since the breach reporting changed. Yeah, in and August I've seen it on year. social media all over the lake. It was on my Facebook. Yeah. I saw it on yeah. Instagram. It's in the news, so this is really going to have and that's typically, severe consequences. It is, and that's typically where these practices fall into um, a real business challenge because mm-hmm. it's not just the fact mm-hmm. Yeah. That they're going to be sued, but also that no one's ever going to go back. Yeah. yeah. Well, right. and you know, it's interesting. We talk about like the risk of harm, but like you know, just looking at the list from um, from Pippita about like what constitutes risk of harm, what are the what, what how could patients be harmed? There's a lot that are checked off because of the nature of the business. It's a medical marijuana yeah. clinic. You know, humiliation in some cases, damage to reputation or relationships, yeah. loss of employment, business or professional opportunities, all that kind of stuff. Not to mention identity theft, which are the big ones. So there's huge risk to all the patients involved. And at 34,000, there's a ton of them. Yeah, agreed. So the the next breach we're going to talk about actually came in to, to Brightscript from one of our clinics that uh, we, we partner with to do their privacy support. Um, Val, you took the call. Why don't you talk about what happened? Yeah, I sure did. So yeah, a clinic called me and they were unsure what to do in the situation. So what happened was... They explained to me two patients were at the clinic, they were leaving at the same time, and turns out that the front office staff gave the wrong. So it was a summary of treatment, it was mostly a payment receipt, but also had an appointment reminder on there, so it said, you know, your next appointment is at whatever date, and so that file got handed out to the wrong person, and it was, it happened, you know, it was human error. And often breaches that happen in clinics are human error. It's not by malicious intent. But they called and they were unsure what to do. The patient that took the file home did actually call the clinic and said, listen, this is not what, this is not my file, this is not my receipts. And the clinics, you know, said, well, yeah, let's return it. But they called to know, you know, what is our responsibility going forward? What do we need to do? Do we need to let the other patient know? So often when clinics call, they're just really unsure. They have a situation and they're like, what now? <laughs> so so then in that sense, because, you know, we talk about what information was included. So Rohit, what, what does the law say about, are there different strata, are there different levels of patient information? Yeah, in most cases not. Um, in fact, once you've attached a patient information to a name, and it can be any patient information really, to a name, there's a, a likelihood of a breach because it's personal information that's connected to an individual. So as soon as you can identify a piece of personal information to that individual, it triggers the breach. Now, what does that information be? What, what, what can that information be? It could be anything like a, a, a treatment plan or a previous billing, or in fact, even if it's a, a picture uh, of the patient that no one really cares about, including the patient, it's still considered a breach. So because it has to be diagnostic, it, relevant it, no, medical it, information. It, no, in fact, I think part of the way the law is written is it is not at the discretion of the clinic. It's codified into law because there's such a low barrier um, for uh, a breach uh, that they've not specifically said, oh, only if it's important medical data. It's not like that. It's any piece of data that's connected to an individual that can be identified. So let's talk about it. What's, what's the obligation of the clinic here? Like, what do they have to do? 
they have to make sure that their staff is trained properly um, and that they that they know what to do if this does occur. Um, so like the clinic did the right thing and they called us and, and we're the hotline and we were able to walk them through, you know, the steps they need to take. Um, and I think to Val. <laughs> Training, well, you know, it's, it's sort of what Roa talked about. It is, even though it might not look like diagnostic and treatment information, you need to be able to identify it's a breach and then need to take the steps to address it. So not just having policies and procedures and training, but also knowing that it needs to be reported possibly. And so they have to go through a whole assessment and that's part of what we do for them as well, because it can be overwhelming to do it. But they need to know because, you know, these things happen, human error, things get handed to the wrong people, sent to the wrong people. And what's important is, and even if the clinic sometimes thinks, well, no big deal, it's just, you know, whatever <laughs> happens every week or so. but still under the law they need to follow a certain process yeah. well it's interesting the process is there regardless of how important yeah. you think it is or yeah. not right and then it has to happen so so jen like how can this be avoided like you you talked a little about training and that's <laughs> like almost an after the fact or beforehand but um like what do you do what are there policies or procedures to be put in place just making sure that you're you're being really careful when you're handling patient information it it is very simple to make a mistake but you have two patients at the same time, you should be verifying that the person that you're with. Um, and if you aren't sure, you can always get verification. If you don't know what the patient's name is and you just forgot, you know, pass that along to someone else or, or ask a colleague. Um, always making sure you're double checking things because that'll really ensure that you don't get into the situation. So, Rohit, then in, in this case, like what's, what's the implication? I mean, you, you, speak all over the world and hear about lots of these different kinds of breaches and it seems you know face value may be innocuous because it's one patient and one instance but like what's the real implication here sure most of these things are evaluated on you know a, a risk of harm and so uh, typically what we can help with is understanding what that risk of harm is but regardless of that so we will go through a flow with that practice the challenge still is that even if we go through that flow and it's determined that there isn't a risk of harm, that patient still has the opportunity to report that to the privacy commissioner. And so there is a risk that we do need to, we do need to cover. Training is something that has to happen because it may involve some level of change of policy, but it's also very, very important for the privacy commissioner to know that there was proper diligence that was applied to that clinic. So, I mean, I, and you guys, sorry, I'm wrong, but, the lesson here, I think, is that every breach matters, right? You, yeah. There's a cumulative effect or even just one breach getting reported by one patient that is going to become public information up on the OIBC website. Yeah. At least Did, yeah, so likely. So if a patient decides to file a complaint, they will, at least the OIBC, they will look at it. They have a duty to investigate, yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. And so that will be public. Yeah. Yeah. So train your staff, stick yeah. to your policies and procedures, please. Exactly. Awesome. All right. So we've gonna, we're going to try and squeeze in one more breach. So this one is a mistaken email address. So it's a bit like the previous one we talked about because there was uh, information got to the wrong person. But it's a bit unique because of how that happened. And it was using an email system. So uh, an administrative person accidentally sent an email intended uh, for a patient to that patient's employer. Um, and obviously, you know, that is, is a breach, so we need to talk about um, how that kind of things happen, what the implications are. So, Jen, what's 
what's wrong with email? There are so many mistakes that can be made with an email. I, you hit .ca instead of .com. You just type the wrong letter, number, anything, and it goes to the wrong place. Mm-hmm. It's a super risky way to communicate if you don't have any type of secure mail in place. We talked about this earlier about, uh, you know, what's patient information? Because, again, clinics, I think, misunderstand Oh, it just had an appointment reminder in it. You know, it could be like really anything, come back for an appointment, but in the context of the clinic, it doesn't matter. It's still patient information that needs to be protected. And you never know, like just, you know, depending on where it goes to, it could be somebody that could be misusing it, even if it's simple appointment information. So regular email really should be a no-go for in a clinic setting. So like in in that sense, why is email illegal? Like clinics, sure, they're told every day they can't use it. Some do, but... What's the problem? So, again, multiple layers here, uh, Jeff. I think part of it is, you know, the, that by its very nature, email is hackable. And, and that's just the nature of email. That's from a technology ground up. And, and there's a lot of misperception about it because when I type in an address, I expect it to get to you, Jeff. Um, but in reality, the technology doesn't work that way. It bounces from place to place and it eventually gets to you. And in most cases, it does. But it's not a private and secure system. So there's a big problem there. This one actually highlights a separate issue, which is um, the employer probably owned that email address anyways. And so even though it did, even if it went to the patient at an employee's at, at that address, the employer has full rights to go in and have a look, typically. So there's probably a second issue here, which is don't use your employer's address <laughs> for your private stuff. Yeah, stop using work emails. Stop, stop using work emails. Use your private email. And I know that you know some of the things that we did when, when we created Secure Mail was to make sure that there was identity verification. This is where things go way off track. Um, making sure that we know who is getting that email on the other end becomes critical in how it's designed. Um, and and uh, and finally, I think you know when when we're looking at this uh, this issue in particular, the fact that clinics are using email is a huge problem. As Val mentioned, it's getting appointment reminders. Strictly speaking, there's there's uh, carve outs for that in HIPAA legislation in the U.S. It says yeah, you can use it, but it's very different if I, for example, am coming from an AIDS clinic or a cannabis clinic. If I've got a regular appointment, the appointment says, hey, your weekly consult's ready on next Wednesday at the AIDS clinic. This is a problem because it implies a whole bunch of medical information, even though it's an appointment. So provider. the type of provider, like psychologist, psychiatrist, all yeah, that stuff. It all, it all becomes important. Now, like I said, in the States, there's kind of a carve out for that. But honestly, like I, I think it's a difficult way to go. Like yeah. I, I think it's a risky way for people to communicate. So it sounds like email is a really bad idea. And that's traditional email because like we've got secure mail that is, is secure and accepted for transmission and protects patient information. There's other services as well. Um, but whatever it is, make sure that it's something that's secure that's not going to you know, expose information across the internet or to the wrong person. And I think that's the big lesson here today. So thanks for this discussion. I think it was great. I think we learned a ton in, in a short time. And um, any other comments before we wrap this up no i look forward to next round okay perfect thanks 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 for listening to protect your practice brought to you by bright squid for a regular dose of privacy insights and tips subscribe on itunes spotify google play 
or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd be honored if you left us a five-star review and shared this episode with your colleagues. Find out how you can get expert privacy compliance support at brightsquid.com and click Privacy Compliance.